Oh Lord, may your word only be spoken and may your word only be heard in the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. Good morning. First, let me say how happy I am to be here. Um, though my sabbatical time was definitely a welcome respite from life as usual, it is really good to be here with you again. Really good. Um, as the summer wanes and fall begins, I'll do some sharing uh, in bits and pieces of what I've learned. Um, I won't dump it all on you all at once. Um, but I really thank you for the gift of, of that three months. It was really, really wonderful. So I want to say that first. Second, I want to say that I returned yesterday afternoon from a week as a chaplain at the Barbara C. Harris Campion Conference Center, uh, where I helped lead worship for about 150 young people, I and uh, one other chaplain. We led worship for 150 young people, and we accompanied small groups during their daily activities on the lake or at archery. Just imagine some kind of activity that kids can do when we did it with them. And uh, we were with them when they studied the Bible. They studied the Bible every day. And we generally just made ourselves available for whatever, whatever needed to be done. We were sort of on call to do what, just whatever needed to be done. It was my second summer there, but it was the first time that there were campers from Trinity there. Jory Van, Jory Van Nest, Logan Pruitt, and Griffin Quayle. And uh, while I spent time with a lot of different groups during the week, it was a special joy to be with them in their new environment. And um, I look forward to hearing from their families as they unpack what they experienced. But in my observation, it seemed like they had really a wonderful time. I can't say how much I am affected by the time I spend there. It is really an amazing place. And I would encourage you, if you have children or grandchildren or friends who are children or, or have friends who are children, who have friends who have children, uh, to consider sending them up to the camp. Um, live registration starts in January. And I don't believe you could find a better place to introduce uh, kids to the realities of Christian community and all the joys and challenges and just fun that that entails. Um, I actually have a little slideshow to, um, that will be on a loop during coffee hour that is accompanied by um, music written and played by kids at the camp. So you might not be able to understand the words, but you will certainly get a sense of the joy uh, that is expressed in worship. So I invite you to, um, to take a quick look at, at those slides. I also hope that sometime uh, this fall I might be able to convince uh, Jory and Logan and Griffin maybe to write a little something for the window or to maybe even speak uh, in front of some people in a forum. Um, we'll see how that goes. But I'd love to, for us to hear from them uh, in the way that they can share with us what their experience was. So, second thing I want to say is that uh, I had this amazing week last week. The third thing is to say that when I looked at the gospel for this morning, I almost didn't want to come back. <laughs> for me, this is one of those texts that really has kind of gotten so smooth and so worn out that I just don't, it just doesn't do much for me anymore. I have this kind of um, familiarity, uh, no, what's it, familiarity breeds contempt, the kind of kind of contemptuous thinking about this passage and the thinking goes something like this 
Peter didn't have enough faith to walk on water. Jesus chides Peter for not having enough faith. Jesus says, or Peter feels like he needs to try harder, right? So Peter doesn't have enough faith. Jesus chides him. Peter has to try harder. So transferring that to myself, I don't have enough faith. I don't have enough faith to to face my challenges. Jesus chides me when I don't have enough faith, and therefore I have to work harder on my faith. You can see how this would be a discouraging passage for those of us who think this way. And in fact, if we stop there and categorize this tale as a simple try-harder story, we're going to get stuck and get nothing out of it. And by trying harder, a trying-harder story, I mean um, trying to get it right, perfectly, um, assuming that it is entirely in our power to get whatever it is right. We just want to grit our teeth and, and just will it to happen. That's what I mean by trying harder. However, if we see this as a keep trying story, as a keep trying story, I think, I know, that there is a glimmer of hope in this gospel passage's message for us. So to try harder means we think it's all up to us. We can make it happen if we just suck it up and bite the bullet to crash two metaphors together there. We think it's up to us. But to keep trying means that no matter what the outcome, you know that you are loved and that that love is indestructible. You can't do anything to get rid of it. You're stuck with it. To try harder means that fear is running the show. Failure is just not an option. It's just not. To keep trying means that you're not frozen by the fear of failure. Failure is simply the opportunity to have another crack at it. You get another chance. No big deal. To keep trying is the way we respond when we really hear Jesus' invitation. Come. Don't be afraid. To see this as a keep trying story rather than a try harder story, I think we need to keep um, in mind Peter's the arc of Peter's behavior throughout the Gospels and into the Acts of the Apostles, kind of keep his, the whole range of his activity in view. Jesus, uh, sorry, Peter is in love with Jesus. He loves Jesus. There's no doubt about it. And he's always getting it wrong, right? And it's, it's the recklessness and the repetition of his attempts that show him to be a keep trying kind of person because he knows, he knows who's inviting him. And finally, when the chips are really down, we see how this eventually comes to deep success. When the chips are finally down, and I don't mean when Peter says, I don't know who you are. I don't mean that. I mean when Jesus is gone and the disciples could easily 
have just thrown in the towel, right? It's then that all their practice pays off, right? They're able to hear, to continue to hear that invitation by the Holy Spirit of all the things that Jesus said while he was with them, all the things he continued to say to them in their prayer and in their worship. They can hear it. And as we know, that story continues, right? If it weren't for those people who finally got it after failing so many times, we wouldn't have the Gospels. We wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be here today. One of the things that I have learned pretty concretely on my sabbatical is that things that seem impossible can be done if, when, they're broken down into tiny, tiny little pieces. And then you practice them very slowly, very regularly. And the way I learned this was in beginning to take piano lessons again after 35 years away from the keyboard. I began to take piano lessons and almost immediately I had to face this fear of not getting it right. It was a real uh, revelation to me to sit in those lessons with a wonderful teacher who teaches my kids, an amazing teacher, but absolutely frozen with fear. It was like my hands just kind of locked up. And it was like that when I was practicing, too, at home by myself. But I was, I was determined to try harder. Like, I was just going to keep doing it. <clears throat> and yet, as I did that, my fingers began to get tight. I began to get tight wrists. My forearms began to get tight and sore. I, I stopped breathing sometimes as I was practicing. This trying harder thing just didn't work. Just, it just wasn't going to work. So I kept listening to my teacher and she tells me, break everything up into little tiny pieces and then do it very slowly and then do it again. And then you put them together slowly and before you know it, it's like a miracle. You have something. Now, Carnegie Hall has not called yet, (laughs) but I might share a little bit with you of what I've learned to play at a forum sometime later, later in September. So this past week, I had another chance to see this, this keep trying principle in action. I was with a youngster as he was contemplating taking the deep end swim test again. Now, to take the reason to take the deep end swim test is because obviously you get to go in the deep end of the the swimming area in the lake, but you get to swim out to the floating dock. You get to to do that, which in and of itself is just fun, right? But if you don't have, you don't pass the deep end test, you're in the shallow end, which is really, ooh, it's very shallow. Um, it's really kind of a wading pool. So he was thinking, you know, do I want to do this? You know, he failed it the first time. It might even been, he might even have failed it two times already. So he was trying to decide, should I do this? <clears throat> and he decided he would. And as it turned out, 
despite the coaching and encouragement of his counselors and the, and the waterfront staff, he did not succeed. He did not succeed on this next try. Now, I have to say, it is a hard test. I wasn't sure I was going to make it. I asked halfway through, is it okay? Can I do my backstroke now? Can I do it now? No, you have to keep crawling on your stomach. It's like, oh. They are tough, right? They want you to be safe. So this man, this boy, was really very discouraged, although he, it was a hard thing he was trying to do, but he was, he was very discouraged. And one of his counselors, really just a masterful young man, just graduated from high school, knew enough to kind of give him some space, right? You don't want to crowd somebody after they're really, really disappointed, right? Kind of gave him some space and um, suggested, well, maybe you might want to try again today or maybe tomorrow, well, you know, whenever. No big deal. Well, a couple of days later, one of this uh, boy's counselors ran up to me and said he passed the test. He passed the test. And she was so excited. She began to tell me the way he had passed the test was he'd gotten in the water and then one of his counselors had gotten in the water right beside him. Stroke for stroke, doggy paddle for doggy paddle, treading water for treading water, backstroke for backstroke. His counselor was right next to him, not touching him, right? Because then it doesn't, the test doesn't count. But he was right there. And on the dock, Right next to him was his other counselor. Come on, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And he did it. Now, this youngster didn't just, he didn't try harder, right? There's no way you can will yourself to make that test. He just kept trying. He kept saying yes to the invitation. Now, he also knew who was giving him the invitation, right? His counselors spent a lot of time with him. They slept in the same bunk. They went up and down the hills, all the trails all over the place. They did it together. They ate their meals together. They studied the Bible together. They played canoe dodgeball together. They played sandcastles together. They were together. And that invitation has power because he knew his teacher and his teacher knew him. If we can remember that, that the one who invites us to keep trying that that one is the one who knows us, who walks with us, who sleeps with us, who eats with us, who is with us all the time. When you remember who is giving the invitation to come, don't be afraid. What miracles will transpire? Amen. Amen.